A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. Hello, welcome to A Funny Taste in Music. Thank you for picking this podcast. I know you didn't have a lot of choice. You went on you went on Spotify podcast and thought, is there anything? Is there any if someone's recommended this by the way, people do that now, don't they? They go, uh got a couple of long drives coming up. Can anyone re- recommend a podcast? And you've recommended this. Bloody thanks. Oh, appreciate it. So this one um, I haven't done one for a while. Sorry, I've had an extension done on my house. I don't have to explain myself to you. Um, so, but this one, oh, I've been looking forward to, to when I actually say it on the episode. I just thought, what? Why haven't I had Andy on? Uh, he should have been one of the first ones on. I mean, he really just he, he take he, you know he do, he could have done this episode on his own. I wasn't needed for this at all. Andy Robinson is one of the first comedians I've ever seen when I went to Edinburgh Festival on my own for the first time and I just went to see people and they said this man supported Joe Brand I thought well he must be good so I went to see him and he's brilliant and then the first time I gigged with him I was like oh I've seen you and I've gigged with you it was one of them and then he's just like just just been a mate since and we, he kind of like he talks about music quite a lot on stage and you can tell he's into music he looks like he goes to see bands he looks like he could be in a band so I thought, I've got to get him on the podcast. And he was everything and more I'd hope he'd be. So all I ask you to do is listen to the Spotify uh, playlist as well. Give that a listen. And just, yeah, recommend this podcast to your friends. I would really appreciate that. Um, listen to Andy Robinson now. If you see he's gigging, he does the Glee in Birmingham regularly on Thursdays. He is one of the best compares you can see. He makes comedy look easy. So go see Andy. If you'd like to come and see me gig, go to my website, andrewbergcomedian.com. Go there, come and see me. Uh, come up to me after and tell me uh, what you think about the podcast. If it's positive, if it's negative, I will be pretty rude to you, all right? So here we go. Andy's coming up now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Let's go bang, straight in with a question. Are we going straight in? Cool. Yeah, here we go. First right one. Then. Nice. Yeah. I think it's a new question related to music. <laughs> Have you been to a post-COVID gig? Yeah, I've been to a few, I suppose. Since what was what, July one? the nineteenth? I went. I went to there was a music festival I went to back in July. Yeah. I've been to a few smaller pub gigs. I'm going to say to see beautiful musicians doing their best in a small little room. Uh, yeah. I've been to see. Who else? Doing? Black Pumas. I went to see them. A proper gig. I may have caught COVID there or not. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I went to Ronnie Scott's recently in London to see a, a Django Reinhardt. Not a tribute act so much, but three guitarists and double bass player doing beautiful gypsy jazz. So I've been to a few. I haven't. Uh, I haven't really got back into it as I used to in the old days yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sentence is everything. I would want from you just a big eclectic mix of somebody who loves music. And then yeah, I love yeah. the way you said all that. I've done all that, been to Ronnie Scott's and uh, all of that. And then, but I haven't really got back into it like I used to be. Well, I used to go all the time, Andrew, as you might know. I used to, you know, anytime I had a night off, I'd be gig hunting, looking for thrills and pop gig spills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been to different countries looking for gigs. So, you know. Have you gone abroad for a gig? Yeah, I've gone to I've gone to America in the past purely looking for music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Spent you know months where, over there. Where did you go? I went to Chicago and New Orleans and Memphis and Nashville and you know uh, you did the Houston, all that stuff. Holiday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't think of anything better to do on holiday, Andrew, than go hunting for music and gigs, oh, and especially in America because it's, it's got loads of. Um, landmarks hasn't it so you know you go to a shop yeah. where they might have recorded an early rhythm and blues song yeah and i'm just i'm just that. going in those sort of rooms just looking for ghosts as i keep saying really <laughs> music ghost hunter. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a that's a documentary you should find <laughs> music ghost hunter i can sense people who listen to all of these podcasts who might be thinking why the hell haven't you been on for before well i like the, i like the ghost hunting bit there's a like in birmingham there's a carpet shop in erdington right and um yeah. the the rumor is well, it's not a rumor it's a fact it's like david bowie did a gig there back in the 60s when it was there so like people go to look at a carpet shop in erdington in birmingham just because david bowie once went in that room 
<laughs> carpet shop. It wasn't a carpet shop at the time. It was like a was there a music I venue. Guess it, I would guess it's a gig, but you know who knows. Yeah, yeah. David Bowie right. in his early days is quite ambitious. I hear. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't know why. I just thought, yeah, yeah, music shop. That that would make sense. That'd be nicely soundproofed. Yeah. Good acoustics in there. But it was a music venue that's now a carpet shop. Yep. So you can get yourself. Get your, get your living room sorted. <laughs> David Bowie played, didn't he? <laughs> How many times has that said in there? So we can yeah. do your underlay and, um, yeah, apparently he was there. He was yeah. on the stage there. Some sort of a mad thing to do, really, isn't it? But, you know, I suppose it's the equivalent of tourists going on the Abbey Road crossing or something. It's just, you know, I, I've been here as well, you know. Good stuff, I think. I, I, like I say, because I have no imagination and a little bit obsessed with music, I can't think of anything better to do with your free time, really. No, that's a, per- that's a perfect holiday. I mean, what, what, you know, laying, staring on a beach or going to where Elvis recorded some early records. I love it, you know, like you uh, in Texas, I was out there with a few... In the, as you're walking past there, they, people say, oh, that's the hotel, the Clash film, Rock the Casbah video. So on your way to a gig, you're seeing another little bit of oh. a, a rock landmark, I think they call it these days. Oh, I did. I did exact, exactly that on Monday. I did a gig on yeah. uh, Monday, like just gone, at the 100 Club. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that's got so much history, that, that venue, hasn't it? You look at all the pictures on the walls. Yeah. Blimey, look who's been here. What did you I've go and see? Been in. I'd never been in there. And um, I walk, and I've heard, it's just one of them on loads of music documentaries. You just hear it, don't you, at some point. And then they did a gig at the 100 Club and blah, 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 and the 100 Club. It's just one of them that you've heard of loads. Legendary, isn't it? What did you go and see there? I did a gig. I was, oh, okay. Um, I was, uh, Russell Howard was doing, does new material. How good would it be to be as good as Russell Howard that you can <laughs> just book in your own gig at the 100 Club? Fill it. He could put the Royal Albert Hall for a warm-up gig, couldn't he? Yeah, he just, he just, <laughs> that's what he does. He just books nice venues that he likes doing, fills it on a Monday, just cool. does an hour of new material. Cool. How great is that? But do do that in the Hundred Club. And I got, I got in as well. Funny, I walked in, and uh, the show. No, normally, when a show manager shows you in, they just sort of walk you in and go, "Do you want a drink?" And you're like, "No, yeah, thanks." They walk me in, and I go, "So, um, could could have some history on this." building please and this yeah. girl went right and she just rattled off about 15 minutes ah oh, brilliant like, and you could see the other bloke laughing like this would normally bore people yeah like, she's probably done this before to people not interested but she'd pick the right person and i was like no this is great i want yeah and all over the walls there's just pictures just oh, it's amazing the, the pictures on them walls aren't they again like if we're going to talk about ghosts you go into that room and you think blimey that they've all been here and that's only the people that put up on the pictures you know yeah there's the sound engineer said i said how long have you been here it's been there years he goes yeah i've worked with uh chuck berry paul mccartney <laughs> and then he goes so you'd better be good i was like i'm not following chuck berry that's not how this works <laughs> yeah yeah i like that idea that you're uh, being compared to chuck berry and paul mccartney while you're trying out new material yeah it is it as a sound <laughs> as a sound man he's just sat there watching me do some weak story about a train journey thinking well i prefer chuck berry stuff yeah yeah well. <laughs> How could you not, in a way? No offence, Andrew. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no, I agree. Do you like and, Chuck um, Berry? I love Chuck Berry. I've got into him lately so much because uh, it's just such a pleasure to sing along to. The words the yeah. words are such a pleasure to form in your own mouth as you're singing along. So appealing he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love, I love really, I love a really early rock. It's quite childlike, a lot of it. 
isn't it? What, the early rock and roll? Yeah, like Buddy yeah. Holly. I'm yeah, I suppose it is. Obsessed got... with Buddy Holly for ages. Are you, Andrew? Yeah, always oh, loved Buddy Holly. Yeah, he's tremendous, isn't he? He was a big... Um, uh, you don't think of that. Like, in st- I always think of it as stand-up terms, music. Yeah. You do that thing where you... Um, apparently, like the way that Buddy Holly tried to make every song a little bit different from the last one. Because yeah, that, yeah. The, bands in the early days, they'd get a big hit, and quite fairly, just try and do a, a slight copy of that last one. Because yeah. I think, well, people like that. Keep doing that. Yeah, that's that was a the thinking, thing, isn't it? Buddy Holly was one of the first to try and make every song sound slight. No, we've done that. Let's make it sound a bit different. Add a bit of this here. Add a bit of hand clapping, and that's what uh, apparently Paul and John took For all sure. the influence. Yeah, from. well, he, 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 they uh, they quote Buddy Holly, don't they? As an example of what they were after, really being self-contained, writing their own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh well, it's interesting with the old fifties rock and roll because like just before that, say in the late forties, early fifties, like music was quite uh, sophisticated and they had like you know, the chord ch- changes in music were very advanced and then rock and roll came along and as you alluded to, made everything simpler. Yeah. So like in a way in a way music's gone backwards, I think, from certainly from the forties and fifties. I mean here we are however many years later, eighty years later, and it's that music is not as uh complicated as a lot a lot of them songs at least pretty yeah. interesting i think yeah i like well well sometimes you just want to be smacked over the head with it don't you absolutely yeah. you don't want to you don't <laughs> want to be figuring it out just want it there and there yeah, 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 yeah. that's that's what that's what happens with all the all the they normally say that don't they with the new music movements it's quite often we were waiting for something like this to just smack you in the face like punk and all of that yeah you just that's that's what you wanted didn't you yeah yeah Cheap thrills, I like to call them. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw a band recently, I uh, and I've started, um, I think I'm now getting older, where I look at people in the crowd. I used to be at gigs and look at older people at the crowd and I go, look at them, still getting the gigs. Isn't that, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah, that yeah. sweet? <laughs> no, You've turned me. into one of them. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm proud of it as well. Yeah, you, what, should, you should be. I look around at them and I'm like, they're fucking, they're, they're, that's just me, that bloke. He's a bit, he's a bit older. He's committed to the haircut more than I have. You know, when you see someone who's, is, they're a mod and that's it. Even I though it's grey um, and thinning, they're yeah, keeping yeah. it. I saw um, Billy Eilish at Glastonbury ever many years ago. That was three or four, I suppose. And uh, I mean, I was by far, I think I was the only middle-aged man there. I was surrounded by children and teenage girls and their mothers. And uh, I, you know, even at Glastonbury in a big field, I got a sense of I was I was being kept an eye on. What, <laughs> what, <laughs> what's what's he doing here? And I, got, I was getting like you know, and uh, and then when the gig started, I sort of knew knew the words, so I, I was allowed in. Then, but yeah. Jesus Christ, it was an embarrassing <laughs> it was an embarrassing ten minutes waiting before that gig. You had mums just just clocking you, thinking I did, right. I did, and and. Uh, and also, I'm quite taller, and I so whenever I go to gigs, I have to get there um, really early because if it's a tall man, if you try and squeeze into a gig, it's over. So I have to get gigs because I like to go to the front, right? Yeah. You know, because tall people are expected to stand at the back for everything, aren't they? Even you if like even if a photograph's taken, oh, I love it, yeah, yeah. But as a my tax for being a tall man and seeing everything is, I have to get there early and stand there and let people work their way around you because, like, say, if you're a tall man and you're squeezing in. Yeah, uh, and it's push like it you're in pushing at last in. Minute. Yeah, it's like you're pushing in, and then all I hear, but 
I can't really hear a gig if I turn up late. All I hear is what a prick I am for standing there yeah. if I'm pushing. So. But if you're there first, they know what they're dealing with. That's the deal. You would imagine so, wouldn't you? But e- yeah. even even then, I get people asking me to move. Mate, can you go to the back? I've, Do you really? Yeah, That's yeah, all the tallest, time. isn't it? That's tallest. It, well, you know, it's it's a one area where I feel I'm being discriminated against. Sorry, I can't help it. I'm t- I read a review of a band I went to see once in uh, Coco in uh, King. King's oh, Cross. yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Oh, great gig that is, isn't it? Great yeah. room. And then I was looking at the uh, review of a band, and then um, someone had wrote a review saying, Oh, it's a marvellous night, marvellous gig. However, it was spoiled by one tall man standing right in the middle at the front. And I was thinking, Yeah, that was, that was me. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> How brilliant. You've made a review. Yeah. I drew, drew in that person's night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of. You're I'm tall. aware of that because my my I go to a lot of music gigs with my wife, and she's not she's not that small, but you know you've got you've got to weigh it up. You've got to um, you know quite often I'll be stood somewhere and I could sense she's a bit annoyed, she can't see properly, and I position myself where you see through the gaps of heads. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and I'll just place her there, go right there, there. I'll grab her by the shoulders and adjust her so she can see through the gap. It was, like, it was like that the other day. Um, so, yeah, the band I went to see, Cast. Oh, yeah, were they good? Oh, they were phenomenal. <laughs> were they? they were fu- they're such good musicians. They're incredible. There's a song that I've never seen anything like it. The guitar player, yeah. he plays it like he's playing keyboard on the fret. So he doesn't strum it. He, Tapping away. He taps, yeah, with his fingers on the th- up the, where you would hold the chords in place, where... So he's playing it like a like a piano kind of. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. We couldn't. My my wife, you know, we're, I'm not one for filming stuff at a gig. Either is my wife, but she was like, I I, I have to capture this. There's I've a fella called uh, Stanley Clark. I think his name is. Back in the eighties, he was tapping away like as a sort of prodigy genius. He's he's worth checking out if you want to see that technique. I think that was his name anyway. I can't. Yeah, well, I'll give that. Yeah, I've ne- I've never seen it and seen it yeah. live. Just it's impressive, casually isn't it? doing that. Brilliant. And then they did the thing. Do you know what I love? That at the end, um, John Power, good night, walks off. And then the guitar player, Waves, walks off. You know, when they go off in dribs and drabs, yeah, and the, yeah. the music carries on. Yeah. And the drummer and the bass player well, kept going on their own for a good five minutes. It's a great ending, that is. I like it when bands do that. Yeah, and they just, they're honest, you know when a band looks like, you know, it's like the audience aren't even there. In a good way, they could just be in their garage now. <laughs> doing this yeah. just brit oh they were so good such good musicians but yeah looking around at people of an older generation dad yeah. dads with their kids as well yeah well you know i'm all for it like i say that thing about old people at gigs i am all for it i'm glad they're out and about you know and turning into one of them men myself now yeah, yeah. fantastic can't beat it yeah me too there's nothing nothing better than live music there's nothing better watching like well we were talking um about uh about the beatles get back oh yes i haven't spoke about this on this podcast have you not no there's so many podcasts dedicated to it it's amazing i know i think i must have i must have given a watching it a few times watch that film three times i think i'm so i got into all of it so that's a day of my life gone and i think i must have dedicated at least another couple uh, 48 hours just reading about it and thinking about it and listening to podcasts and all that and listening to Peter Jackson interviews. What a treat for a Beatles fan that is. 
Oh, I'm, yeah, I tell you, I listened to Frank Skinner's podcast. Yeah, absolute. It was quite funny. They were saying how they've he just has it on in the background now, ticking just, away. He just have it on on the telly while he's just doing stuff. It, it, says, it feels like you're living with the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely got. A, I mean, it's a, it's not an original point. This, but it's definitely got a touch of um, reality television about it, isn't it? I like to say it's the best ep- uh, series of Celebrity Big Brother I've ever watched because it's starring <laughs> the Beatles day by day, and you know, depending on what you're, how Beatles nerdy you are, fascinating. I, uh, yeah. It's, What's your favourite bits in it? I just captivate. I think my favourite bit in it. Funny you should ask. There's now I've been watched that and watched. There's loads of good videos on YouTube of like the best bits of John Lennon, the yeah, funny yeah. bits and all that. There's a bit in it where I think I love the bit where John shouts at Ringo to do another take, and he goes and he just shouts at him, "Scabhead, come in, <laughs> one more." All right, yeah, yeah. and I don't know what it was in that moment. You realised, oh, they're just a bunch of scouse mates who happen yeah, to be yeah. absolutely incredible at music. Well, I, I think that uh, documentary is, a, is apart from all the things about music and it's about friendship, isn't it? A lot of it, I think, deep down. A lot of that uh, documentary is yeah. related to friendship and creativity and and just uh, sticking together through the odds, I think. It's funny, as comedians, we kind of go, we, we'll say to each other sometimes after, we'll go, oh, that bit you did, uh, you can maybe add that, you can maybe do that, oh, that'd be an idea. And just that's quite... As comedians, that can be quite a weird moment. But imagine living that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Living I mean, it day in, day out. It is weird, isn't it? Because as comedians, sometimes, depending on who's offering you advice, sometimes yeah. you're really grateful and sometimes you think, fuck off, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Been doing this for ages. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so you sort of know how George Harrison must feel. You get an insight into that, don't you? Having Paul McCartney go, as a savant genius, go, no, no, do it like this, do it like that. He must have thought, oh, come on, Macca, give us a break. It kind of, um, it, yeah, it, um, I, f- I mean, the, the whole idea of it is like you think about it now. It's still quite uh, an amazing idea. Now it didn't quite happen how they thought it was going to, but the thought of saying, "Let's start from nothing, build up a load of songs, <laughs> three weeks, <laughs> write them in three weeks, and play them in front of an audience." That's a brilliant idea for a TV show. If any band did that now, even if you didn't like that band, you'd watch it, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a nutty thing to do, really, isn't it? When you, I'd, I'd never realised that about Let It Be, Get Back project that it was uh, that I they didn't made themselves such a hard target, really. Yeah, you know, they could have. I think it was meant to start as a a gig doing White Album tracks for a television, and then Beatles being the Beatles, say three weeks now, and now we'll get a new album out of this. I mean, it's ridiculous. And they do a lot of Abbey Road while they're there as well. That's the and main play thing loads I kept... of old rock and roll, and you know, yeah, that's the main thing I kept. Uh, annoying my wife by saying I'm going okay that was that I could I could feel how irritated it was yeah, I kept yeah. going that's off Abbey Road yeah, yeah, yeah. That's off, they've written half of Abbey Road during this uh, f- unbelievable I tell you what was funny as well it makes you feel like you were some kind of songwriting genius where George Harrison would go what should I do here Paul yeah, yeah. something in the way she moves attract me like I can't think of something there. Pomegranate. And I'm thinking, like no other, George. I'd go like no other if I was you. (laughs) (laughs) You kept chipping in the finished lyrics like you'd written them. I'll tell you what you should do here, John. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll tell you what as well. um, I love the bit where just in writing, it, it would say, this is the track that, was ended up on the album. Oh, what a treat that is. I mean, towards the end when you're watching yeah. it and they sort of save that um, uh, 
cap, uh, caps, caps you want to save that um, moment, don't they, for halfway through the song. So you're watching it, you're thinking, I think this is the one on the album, isn't it? Yeah. And it always is, you know, makes you realise just the fine tunings and calibrations they made, really, to get all them records sounding like they did. But it's just, and it, I don't know, I, I, I worry about everything being, like, good enough all the time just generally i I don't know how you could do that in a band like decorating i take so long painting a room because i'm like is that is that all right is that good enough imagine (laughs) that right recording a song like they they well they kind of did know that this is going to be listened to in 50 years because there's that point weren't there where yeah yeah, yeah. paul mccartney especially is aware of the the longevity of what he he perceives to be it's also going to be especially him but i think they i think they all were but imagine doing a recording and saying, I think they just put it out their head and they just played every song like they were just dicking about and enjoying it. And if they capture it, that'll be recorded, they'll use it. Yeah, but imagine was... thinking this this recording now is going to be listened to by billions yeah. of people and last for 50 years and people will still be, you know, fucking John's just sat on the floor with his legs crossed for uh, that, that, I think, the final recording of um, Let It Be. Yeah, yeah. John's just sat with his legs crossed next to Yoko. Yeah, yeah, being a bit of a fool, I think, at that moment. But it's made me love John Lennon more. I'd gone off John Lennon a bit, but that documentary made I'd me t- love I'd him th- again. I tell you what, I um, me too. But I'd um, the first episode. Yeah. I I sort of I was a bit, I was a little bit upset by it. I was like, fuck, because I thought John was pretty passive and boring. Off his head, isn't he? I think sometimes. I think, like, do you, you think? Know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Because um, there's bits in there, isn't it? When I, I think a lot of heroin was used at that time for him. Yeah. I mean, there's a great bit, you know, when the um, director, Michael Lindsay Hoggy, I think he's an interesting character. But then he's. That's I'm a very aware. polite way of putting it. Me and my oh, wife I, thought, who's this annoying fuck? Didn't, <laughs> didn't you like him? I thought, I thought every time he talked, I could sense him going, ah, <laughs> oh, shut up, mate. Yeah. Do you not but think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, he was in there and he, he sort of, he helped contribute to it all, didn't he? He sort of did make it happen, I think, nagging yeah, them. And... He must have been talented and respected to be there. They're not yeah, yeah, absolutely. But every time well, I lo- spoke, I just went, ah, oh, shut up, mate. I love that bit when uh, the, it, Lindsay Hugg is going, well, we could do it. We could do a gig in front of, in a hospital full of children. Not the really sick ones, just the ones with broken legs, you know, all this stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> and then, but you see John Lennon, he's off his head, just looking at it with a kind of stone grin on his face, uh, laughing at it all, I think. I mean, yeah. you know, it's all, it's all um, micro, uh, whatever, micro expression in it. If you're a Beatles fan, you're looking for little. Yeah, I just round the eye when they someone says something ridiculous. I just thought he was quite um, like passive in that. He was not like adding, like contributing much. He was just playing along in the first. Yeah, 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 I agree. He wasn't wasn't being that funny. He wasn't saying much. I was like, oh, what? It's not going to be like this, is it? Yeah, and he looked quite serious. Yeah, I think it's a skag, Andrew. I think the old skag might make you not yourself. I hear I've this never, about I've it. I've never done it, but it's not a good <laughs> advert for drug abuse, is it? <laughs> yeah. But then, so what do you reckon he got off it a bit for the... Yeah, I think he uh, sort of woke, awoke himself up a little bit and sort of became more present throughout the... Uh, I mean, when when the rooftop's going on, he's absolutely there, isn't he? Alive yeah. and in the moment. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, as a Beatles fan, I mean, it's just so revealing. It might be the because it's new as well, but it might be my favourite Beatles product ever, that eight-hour documentary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I um, 
I got into the Beatles. I've said this before when I was, um, I think it was about 15, because it was when Beatles Anthology came out. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I remember, you remember it was on the telly, uh, I remember the advert saying, after the advert, the player, this is like, like you know, mid-90s version of YouTube, after the advert, yeah. the first play ever of a, the new be- first Beatles song, oh, in, and it was uh, Real Love. Free as a bird it was, without wanting to be a nerd. No, that, no, you be a nerd. Yeah, free yeah. as a bird. I'll and get yeah, it was great, it wasn't it? No, that was the second one. But yeah, I mean, when that moment came out, when they showed that video, I loved it because uh, it felt like you were, um, you had a little insight in what it must have been like to be in the 60s. There's a new Beatles song coming out. What's it going to be like? What's it going to sound like? Gave you a little insight of what it must have been like to live in real time, I think. Yeah, and it's weird the amount, because that Beatles anthology documentary started with... Um, uh, in my life and showing just clips of them being young and just all through the 60s it made you feel nostalgic for a time you weren't <laughs> even alive for yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then i was just obsessed then after that just obsessed and i always like if you get the beatles anthology tapes i got them on tape at the time the cds um you get like you know and it's got all the outtakes of songs yeah, and stuff yeah. So got, getting into the Beatles, I got into them with the little bits of them like starting a song and messing it up and just the sound of John Lennon going, Ugh, stuff like that. One, two, three, one, two, three. Right, so you got into them through the anthology stuff yeah. they released a bit. Wow, they released but... the CDs of it. Yeah, yeah I, I, remember, I remember it. it well. What a thrill. Yeah, through that. So this is like what I love about the Beatles the most, all of that dicking about yeah. and all that. Yeah. And, John, and then the second episode... John Lennon, fucking piss funny, like relentlessly funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, but Paul McCartney's like, you can see the difference between them. Like, you can tell that like there would not have been half the Beatles albums if it weren't for Paul McCartney. He sort of drove them a bit, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but I, I think Paul McCartney is vastly underrated still. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I say <laughs> was, that all the time. I as a joke, I say, I say to people as a joke. Beatles, the biggest, most influential, successful band ever, still underrated. Yeah, but I, it was McCartney good because is. um, because I've been such a champion for Paul McCartney for such a long time. Even his solos, not even his solo stuff, especially his solo stuff, brilliant. And then yeah. um, after um, Get Back came out, I got three texts off people that I'd known over the years. Saying, I'm sorry, out. I'm sorry for what I've said about Paul McCartney, <laughs> and I think, <laughs> good, you should be, you should be sorry. You yeah. know, that, that notion that he was a bit of a fool or that Lennon was a talent, really ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a savant, isn't he? Paul McCartney, genius. I, love, I, I watched love him. documentary about the Beatles and that people don't forget about. I didn't know that until they, someone said it, that there was a point in the mid-60s where, like, George and John moved out to Surrey and they're, like, just in a big house in Surrey. Yeah. And Ringo... And Paul was the only one who lived in the centre of London and he was going to art galleries and yeah. um, gigs and stuff. And he was the one that was taking stuff and putting it into, into their stuff. Absolutely. Um, I like coming up with John Lennon when he got into the uh, avant-garde stuff and the sound collage, Revolution Number no. 9, I suppose, his solo albums. Like Paul McCartney had done that three years earlier in London, yeah. living his bachelor lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, he's a... He's a I mean, I'd, I'd happily talk about Paul McCartney. I'd love him. I had a... I had, someone asked me recently a good question just come out of it went yeah. favourite Beatle uh, and I'm like well you can't really have a favourite Beatle but but Paul McCartney I think do you think maybe what it is is the terrible haircuts in the 70s well 
Do you think that's undermined his how how seriously he's taken? I think I don't know. It. I mean, I was saying to my friend the other day, I was banging on about Paul McCartney as I like to do, and he was saying um, I'm sort of pushing him to explore him fully all his solo stuff because you know I think there's a world of joy out there. And he was saying, I have to practice forgiveness to like Paul McCartney a bit because of his um, whatever, whatever, whatever reasons. I mean, he's, he's an unusual rock star, isn't he, Paul McCartney? He's not like the Neil Youngs and all uh, that stuff, cause, and Dylans and all these people, because he's still got such a massive pop sensibility and he still does exactly what he wants. Yeah. And like when sort of that silly criticism of the frog chorus when people go, oh, frog chorus, Paul McCartney. And you think, oh, that song you wrote for a children's cartoon series, like almost like they think he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And the, well, the frog like chorus, he of course. That, is... He wrote that to be a serious number one and it was taken and put yeah. on the children. He was, that's what it was intended yeah. for. Yeah. It's kind of silly, I think, you know, that he doesn't know what he doesn't know what he's about. And, and, and yet other people can go, well, I find this quite lightweight or sentimental. As he says himself in silly love songs, you know, what's wrong with that? He, he, he's, he's not ashamed of being sentimental, is he? No. In fact, yeah. he embraces it. Love him. Well, you'd be happy to know then, Andy. My first CD I bought, was yeah. the first people who bought their first album, you remember that? I remember buying my first ever CD because yeah. I, was, I was quite resentful of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Man, I've got all of these tapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Little did I know. My first ever CD, Paul yeah. McCartney, Flaming Pie. Oh, great, great album. That's an incredible album. That that yeah. was off the back of making the Beatles anthology, being involved in the project. He said that just looking oh, at the yeah. standard of songwriting in the Beatles made him write that album. That and album the speed a bit as well, didn't he? He said he recorded it quickly because he was, he was inspired by himself. I mean, how, how brilliant is that to be inspired by yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Look back up. God, I was good. <laughs> this really made me want to be as good as I am. <laughs> Oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I'm such a fan of him. All his solo stuff as well, you know, which I think is criminally overlooked. But yeah, that yeah. Um, um, "Live and Let Die." What a song that is! You just <laughs> fit, you just think, well, it's a Bond theme, and you don't think about it. But if you trying to try and separate it from being a Bond theme and just listen to it as a song, yep, it's mind blowing how good song, that song is. Yeah. Have you? Oh, have you watched on Disney? I tell you what's funny about getting Disney as well is my two kids. They were so happy that we got Disney because I'm really stingy and I don't. I had Netflix. <laughs> I had Netflix on my brother's account for yeah. about eight years. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So yeah. I never. And then we had to get it because they've got young kids and they're watching it on the iPads and that. And it gets to the point: too many people's watching Netflix, you can't watch it. So we had to get our own. Anyway, <laughs> so I've got no, I've got the basic chat, basic channels on uh, my BT. I haven't yeah. got any sport, nothing. Never had any of that, and um, it's basically like free view telly. Yeah. And then they said, "What? We're going to pay for Disney?" I said, "Yep." They were like thanking me. I was like, <laughs> what did you pay for? It just because the Beatles were on it. I got it just because of the Beatles yeah, documentary. Yeah. And then there's the Paul McCartney thing on there. One, two, three. Oh yes. With. <laughs> Rick Rubin. Him and Rick Rubin. Sitting at his feet, gazing up in awe and wonder. Yeah, sitting yeah. at a desk, like separating bits of instruments on Paul McCartney and Beatles songs. I'm like, did they make this just for me? 
Yeah. I mean, what I love about that documentary, there's so many things. What I love about that Rick Rubin thing is, you know, when he's explaining music and a bit and playing some chords and he'll go, you can, you know, he'll, he'll pull out a bit and go, you can put anything over that. You can make a song up about that. And then he'll just start singing a made up song in the moment. And you're thinking, yeah, that's a, that could be brilliant as well. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. He, he's just pours out of him. He can't stop himself, can he? Yeah. You know, I think he, commu- he communicates in... um. I had a comedian the other day talking about Stan Boardman saying he'd, he'd worked with him and he just couldn't stop joking. Everything he said was a joke. Yeah. And I think Paul, he, he was comparing that to Paul McCartney. I've just like, that's how he communicates, isn't it, musically, I think. He's uh, so many brilliant bits in that document. Like, I love the bit when he's uh, thinking of Elvis. This is how mad I am for it. There's a bit when he's thinking about Elvis, Paul McCartney, and then he just makes up a little song as he's going to the piano. It's something like... Uh, I think about you every day. I think about you every day. I'm a crazy baby. I'm a crazy. And he's just doing that. And you think, you've just made up a mock Elvis song. Mm. And I walk around my flat singing that little snippet of Paul McCartney doing a mock Elvis song because it's almost one of my favourite bits of music these days. Ridiculous. (laughs) It was instantly catchy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love that bit. You know, I've been. Do you know what song got stuck in my head for years and years? Do Do you have that? I have that where I have go to songs that I hum when I like. If I walk to the going to the toilet i'm going for a wee stood on my own yeah i'll have a couple like i've got a small repertoire of songs i hum to myself yeah yeah people have that of course of course one of mine is it was on the beatles anthology extras when em and george were in that room and they said do you remember that song we used to sing thinking of lincoln yeah and it was from an advert at the cinema thinking of lincoln my life with you yeah they must have wrote that when they're like 15 or something and they, they never recorded it because they, yeah. and I've had it stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah, great. How great. good is that? Well, you know, it's, I love that. I love, that's what, one of the things I love about music, especially, is uh, it's just in your head all the time, isn't it? If you, I can be a little bit uh, mental with it sometimes. I think I have got like a jukebox playing in my head, almost to the point when people talk to me about their private lives and issues and trials and tribulations. I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, yeah, it reminds me of that song that, you, <laughs> that you're saying there. It's quite uh, That's it a, a weird... detaching thing sometimes, though, because people are, you know, singing, uh, no, people are talking about the death of somebody. I'm, I'm thinking of a song that reminds me of what they're saying, you know, it's, it's peculiar. I've, do you know what I've said about you to other people behind your back? <laughs> That that's a nice thing. I've also, Look, I'll let that hundred quid. I'll, I'll give it you back at some point. <laughs> said, I said I don't know what it is about Andy Robinson. Every time I see him, I I end up moaning at him about something. <laughs> I've had a bad day. The kid's been a, like a nightmare, and I get to a gig, and he'll go, "How are you?" And I, I have the nerve to then tell him, and I and I just pour it out. I don't know what it is about you. You have this face that you have a bit of compassion, and you listen. Yeah. And you look like you actually care and you're interested. Little did I know you were I'm just thinking of a Elvis in your head. <laughs> that's what I've said about you to loads of people. He just listens. I don't know I what do it listen. Is about I'm a good listener. You know, that's a, I think that's part of the reason why I love music and and um, when people you're say a good listener, yeah, yeah, I think it is. You know, and also I'm open to anything really musically. I always think, well, you know, there's nothing I don't really like or. A genre or an artist, I think pro- there might be something great here if you just listen to it. You know, I suppose that can be the same with people. That's nice of you to say that, Andrew. Though, oh, you are a good listener. Um, no. That's good. I wish I could be more like that. I open, I openly admit that. Do you know what? I did a gig last night, and Mick Ferry introduced yeah. me 
by saying, because I did the Cyprus gigs with him, the um, army decompression gigs, he introduced me by saying to the audience, this next man listens to only Crowded House and Oasis. (laughs) And he said, after four days of it in a Cyprus holiday resort, I was looking at the swimming pool and thinking, would the toaster reach there (laughs) if, if he was in it? And I yeah. thought, I don't, I don't remember that. I remember him being a complete music Nazi and DJing at me <laughs> off of his laptop for about five days. I'd go, oh, do you like this, Mick? And he'd go, yeah, whatever, yeah. No, have you heard this? <laughs> but um, I can be a bit narrow-minded with music, I openly admit. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to say this. So first of all, thank you for your compliment towards me. Secondly, I'm going to return that compliment and say, as you know, Andrew, we've had moments, haven't we? I think you're one of the nicest comedians I've ever met. So God bless you. So I'm going to argue with your point that you don't really listen to anyone because you, <laughs> you've sort of picked up on moments of me and asked me if I'm all right. God bless you. And what was my third point? That seemed to be more important. Yeah, I think you have a thing with bands, don't you? You're obsessed with bands a little bit as opposed yeah. to singers. I think you, I think you like a... The gang mentality, don't you, with music? Yeah, I, lo- I, I get very upset by he- when I hear about someone leaving a band. Yeah. I don't know why it upsets me deeply. If a band of, if I see a band and they go, oh, that's their third drummer or something, I don't, I, it loses something for me. Yeah, I think well, that's what I've picked up from you. You like the original concept of a group of uh, friends hanging together like a gang, isn't it? Like yeah. I say, you know, and. Uh, I get that. That's a beautiful thing about music often, isn't it? But yeah, missing well, out on so much, I think. To endlessly refer to Crowded House, as I do. They're uh, great, though. Neil. Did, did you ever see them live? Of course oh, you yeah. did. I'm going to see them in June. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, They're brilliant live, aren't they? I've seen them a couple of times. I like that bit when they just make up songs on the spot. Yeah. Are they still doing that? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's again, to, re- to compare it to comedy, as we do. They're like if you watch a comedian who never does the same set. Yeah. Always tries a new bit, changes the order, stuff like. I saw them. I got tickets for them at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, and then, um, and then I saw they were doing Wembley like six days later. Obviously, the Royal Albert Hall, Hall sold out really quick, so they put in Wembley, sold that out. Yeah, and I thought, and I saw you could get tickets for Wembley. And I was like, should we go see them six days apart? Like, You'll see a different gig with them, won't you? Yeah, certainly. Like I say, I haven't seen them twice, but. You got the sense they were absolutely in the moment and spontaneous. Like I saw them in New York on one of my uh, music trips. Oh, buddy. And uh, they made up a song. Finding they, sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like they were talking about like a space in between. There's a massive space between the audience and front row. And they were saying it was a bit like a ghost gig. And then they started playing Ghost Town by the specials just in that moment because one of yeah. them had said something that reminds them. And you think, well, I'm, you know, I love all that stuff personally. Yeah. I, I, love a band it might, well i love that if they don't do it i still love them but if a band if between songs they chat and they don't have to be really funny but just say something acknowledge you yeah, yeah and maybe sort of say how this song was written or just a little bit of info i wrote this hit fran healy's good for that from travis he always he gives yeah. you a bit I mean, I've seen Bob Dylan a few times and uh, he never <laughs> does and if he says something like if he at the end of a song if he goes thank you People are delighted. He spoke to us. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Yeah, you know because he, he gives he gives absolutely nothing away. But it's you know. It's, but again, uh, I can't I can't help but respect him for that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I quite absolutely. like that because I feel sorry <laughs> for musicians a lot. Because I think Why? well, part of them playing music is for some of them. That's how, like you said about Paul McCartney. Although he's a great talker between songs as well. But yeah. 
some some of them that's how they communicate they're introverted and shy yeah. and they communicate through music then suddenly you finish a song and you've got eight thousand people looking at you going well we'll say something yeah yeah i mean what do you say in that yeah, yeah. that minute between the song it's quite it's quite tricky i wouldn't yeah. know what to say between a song we just got to say something normal yeah but um yeah they're really good at that crowded house and, yeah, like, and i've watched some old beatles stuff as well recently the, like the best funny bits of john lennon yeah. it shows him in interviews and between songs and stuff like that well just like the audience screamed like, as they did in the early days and he just shouted back at them what yeah stuff like that because <laughs> <laughs> people didn't do that then they were it was come on it was like it was music was still sort of part of the variety scene, wasn't it? Yeah, showbiz, absolutely. Showbiz, yeah. you bow nicely. You go, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This next tune, and then you got John Lennon shouting, "What?" Yeah, at the crowd, and pulling uh, disabled faces. Yeah, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, we should probably <laughs> overlook that. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they cut all that out of the anthology. I noticed, but that's all right. Times change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, it's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, they don't want to go on about the Beatles too much because, like I say, it's a, they're a thing, aren't they? And it, what can you say about them that isn't already been said in a way? Yeah. But uh, Well, I am, because I, I, uh, I've often thought this because I, I don't eat any animal products and uh, I eat a lot of Linda McCartney <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Linda McCartney sausage rolls, right? <laughs> If you're even if you're a meat eater, I am telling you, try Linda McCartney sausage rolls. They are absolutely banging. Yeah, They're yeah. brilliant because normal sausage rolls from Greg, you don't eat them and think that tastes of sausage. <laughs> it doesn't. It's the pastry hot combination you like. So it doesn't need to. And she's absolutely nailed it. And you think of when she did those. Like now, veganism's quite. It's the thing that it's quite in, isn't it? Even McDonald's yeah, sure. are getting involved. But back when she did it, in one, would it have been like the 80s? There was no one making vegan food then, really, or vegetarian food, or very little people. So I was just thinking, what a smug couple the McCartney's <laughs> must have been. Imagine them at a dinner party. Yeah. She's made a brilliant vegetarian sausage roll. He wrote, hey, Jude. <laughs> and they're like, and what do you do? Imagine that moment. I was watching a documentary once about wings and, yeah. you know, I was going through my uh, emotional turmoil in relationships and everything. And then Paul McCart uh, Linda McCartney goes in a, this documentary, she went, I think maybe the hardest thing in life is to be part of a relationship. And while I was watching it, going, well, even if, even if Paul and Linda think that, then, you know, there's something in that for people, isn't there? Even a couple you would imagine have it all creative, yeah. making music, cooking great vegetarian sausage rolls in the interim, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, so it gave me a great bit of solace, you know, that Linda McCartney had said he, a relationship is one of the most difficult things. And then my friend the other day pointed out that maybe it's Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine he might be quite hard to live if I liked it. I've not thought of that in my fandom, you know, so yeah. besotted and blind eyed to. Must be that's, a good, that's a good point. Imagine, right, you're Linda McCartney and you've got, they had like three kids. Yeah, yeah I think so. They're going, yeah. right. We need to sort something for lunch. And then after that, we've got to go down the shops. We've got nothing in for dinner. And he's going, well, what do you think of this piano part? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, hang we on. The I'm... dancer once who had been on one of his videos. I think we're going to end up talking about Paul McCartney. Like, never mind. Yeah, the dancer right. was one of his videos. And uh, then she was, I was sort of saying, tell me all about it. No detail too small. And then she said, like, in between every take, he was on his guitar 
And she said she got the impression that he kind of liked being the troubadour and getting the attention, you know, and everything. You would, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. I hear this about him. If there's a if there's a piano in a hotel bar, he'll go past it and then play. Rather than just play, it, he'll bang out a quick Lady Madonna for people who might be in the bar. He's a he's a people pleaser as well, isn't it? Well, That's part of his personality for sure. Does that as well as doing what he wants and not and doing the exact opposite sometimes. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, that he said in... Uh, I've heard him say in an interview that it's, they come from that um, that thing of a family have a sing-song together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dad was the piano player, and they all sang, and all the... All, I love that uh, there's Irish families I grew up with, and we did that. Everyone sings. Everyone's got their song that they sing. And um, he grew did up you? like that. Did you have I that did, as a child? As a child, yeah. There was three Irish families that were like, like fake aunties and uncles. They were my mum and dad's best friends. Can you remember, Andrew, because I'm a little bit, bit obsessed with this. I, I get on people's nerves. Can you remember what songs you were singing as a child? Yes, I can remember some of the set list. Yeah, go on. It was uh, Fields of Affan Rye. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, what's that one? Uh, my dad always sang The Leaving of Liverpool. <laughs> my mum would, because everyone was Irish, yeah. except my mum was Scottish, still is. And she would, um, <laughs> yeah. she would. So they would get her pissed and make her sing "Flower of Scotland," and they found that hilarious for some reason. Um, and um, oh, did you ever else? sing as a child? Were you encouraged to step up and do a number? Fun, that funny you should say that. That was just when I started doing stand up, <laughs> and they they made me do a bit of stand up in the corner of the living room. And did looking back on that now. People get offered gigs now in people's houses and they go, yeah. there's no way I'd do that. I did that before I even had the tools to be a stand-up in front of people you. I knew. Some of my first open spots were in a living room to a load of Irish people drunk, <laughs> who were great singers. But, did, uh, did it go then, well? It was all right. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of my early stand-up was about my mum and dad. So they laughed because <laughs> yeah, I knew them. So it was kind of, it was all right. But then I tell you what was great. Um, he's really funny. Brendan... Brendan O'Driscoll, he played the guitar and he just didn't stop all night. He was a bit like, it'd be like Paul McCartney, just sweat dripping off of him, just didn't stop. And uh, I used to call him Duracell because it was like, he just didn't, and he was, um, and he told me, lovely bloke, uh, plasterer, he uh, skimmed the ceilings that I'm in now. He, uh, he, t- he used to good go job, and play. Tell him. You good are? Good job, he's done a good job. Oh, he's done a cracking job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he used to go and play songs at the old people's home at Christmas. Ah, isn't that lovely? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he told me, he told me it was a funny thing. He goes, I tell you what's funny is they, they'd all come to the sound check so they could get the hearing aids in the right volume for the gig. Yeah. So he'd be sound checker, then they'll be there, so all these old people just with their hearing aids getting it at the right volume. And sometimes they'd say, if I wasn't, if you know, I had stuff to do, I needed to get home. I just play really quick, fast songs at the start, tire them out, and then I'll yeah, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get them tired, get an early night. Oh, but um, yeah. So Paul McCartney, he, he's his dad. It was on that one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. Rick Ruby said his dad would. Um, his dad stopped playing the piano. He was too old. He had to take the mantle and learn all those songs. Yep. I love that thing as well about the Beatles. That we won't stop. We'll just carry on. Beatles, Paul McCartney. <laughs> I love that thing of that thing of they had to make songs catchy because they had to remember them. Yeah, yeah, themselves. that's interesting, isn't it? Rather than record a little bit, remember how it goes. It had to be in their heads the next day. It had to be catchy yeah. so they could remember it. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Never even thought of that. But yeah, yeah. so 
uh, we should ask before because we've we're, I mean we've established you like the Beatles, but where and you're obsessed with music, even I think even maybe even more than me. Um, but when do you remember? When you got into music for yourself, do you remember what music was in the house as a kid? I do remember it, yeah. I, I, I've, I've got such a vivid memory of this, actually. I, there was a, some records in my mum and dad's house, or my parents' house, my house, whatever you want to call it, and I'd sort yeah. of seen them, and I'd like, I'd, maybe when I was about young, five, I'd, I'd listen to like a Disney album, maybe, because it had all bare necessities on all them songs that are great, yeah. you know. And uh, a big thing, I've, I've got such a vivid memory of this, is uh, I was watching Freddie Starr, and this would, have, this would have been, looking backwards, December 1976. And I was watching Freddie Starr do his Christmas special with my dad. And then at the end, he had like, um, he did a thing where he had like a white suit on and black hair and... And uh, I said to my dad, what's, what's he doing there? Because I was used to him, you know, clowning around. I said, what's, what's going on there? And uh, my dad said, doing Elvis. And I said, well, who? And then he took me to like the, where the records were, which were kind of been ignored until then, in a way. And then um, he pulled out, I can remember it so vividly, he, re- he pulled out an Elvis record that he had uh, called For LP Fans Only, and like, <laughs> pulled the cover out. And um, he, like, you know, he's kind of got a, you think, look at that red velvet shirt he's wearing. Never seen anything like it. He sort of had a pallor to his skin, yellow. I think, is that lipstick you're wearing? So handsome, you know. Yeah. We pulled this out. I thought, well, that doesn't really look like the uh, bloke in the white suit. And then we put that on. And I remember this so vividly. Uh, That's All Right Mama was the first song on this album. Yeah. And it gave me a thrill, you know. I, I thought, I've not heard anything like this. But it sort of made me think about that record, like when they talk about it when it was played in Memphis in 1954, how sh- thrilling it was for people. No one had heard anything like it. Yeah. I felt like that as a six-year-old in Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what What the hell is this? And uh, and I suppose that's all right, Mama, you know, as a young man. I was thinking, oh, it's all about your mum. I could relate to that, you know. <laughs> And in the, in the words, it's about telling your daddy and tell your mommy this, that, and the other. You know, so it sort of made a sense to me. But I was in then. I mean, I was in music then from that because I'd never heard anything like it. Like say them rock and roll records, your Everly and Brothers and your Buddy Holly and your Chuck Berries, and my dad had a few of them knocking around. And I was, I was, oh yeah, from from that moment, six and a half, I was in. I was Jesus, in I've not and heard then, many people say six and a half. They remember that. But it's such a good life lesson, of course, because as well, in um, in uh, August 1970, I mean, I I spent that Christmas to the summer obsessed with Elvis, you know, like whatever records I could get, whatever was lying around, like my dad's friends would say, oh, I've got one you can listen to, into it. So I was well into him. And then uh, in August 1977, seven months after I got into him, he, he died. <laughs> and oh. it, was quite, it was quite a good life lesson early on, you know, of... Here I was obsessed with you. I wonder if I'll ever see him, Elvis. And then, of course, he died. So I thought, yep, that's uh, that's something to consider. Oh, no offense. They no won't offense. be around forever. No no offense. I, yeah. I, I just assumed when you got into him, he was already dead. No, no, I, I got into him. He was him. still alive when you yeah, got into yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, he was like a mythical thing over there in America, wasn't he? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, got, I got into him deep. So, like, uh, yeah, I mean. But, you know, I believe it to be a good life lesson and to listen to people and and also don't take people for granted because I might not be around forever, you know. Yeah, I did that with, um, I was, uh, it was quite a weird when I was putting the newspaper in the chicken coop 
we had a chicken we had chickens so i got used to steal a big handful of metros <laughs> from the train station so i opened it out sent a page yeah big this oh i wouldn't have seen it i just hadn't noticed it opened it out sent a page tom petty playing finsbury uh playing hyde park and i had i don't know what it was i had a real feeling of he doesn't come to england very often and he's got to be fairly old now. He's not going to be doing big tours forever. I've got to go and see him. Absolutely. And that was in July, and he died in October. Right. So, I'm, yeah, he's one of them. You've got, you know, it's like, it costs, it's not cheap to go and see bands. I've, I've spent so much money. I bet you have. But, <laughs> but you just. But, you know, I haven't got any kids, and I, I think that's what I've sort of. That's, that is my. Uh, that's what I've decided to devote my life to really buying music and going to see music and reading you know all that stuff I've well Andy so I've much. got two kids and I can tell you you've made the right choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah I felt that during the pandemic though as well of course didn't we for, the, for that old nonsense we've lived that you know even not not the notion of a uh, there might not be around forever but this might not be around forever you know yeah. when um when all lockdown was on, I put uh, music gigs on telly. I couldn't watch them. And no, me neither. It was so upsetting. Too sad. Yeah, yeah, seeing everyone with their joyfulness and yeah. and community, all that stuff, you know, makes such a difference, doesn't it? But I'm glad that's um, fading into the background now, of course. Yeah, but the first first couple gigs I went to see after lockdown, I spent most of the time just looking at the crowd, just going, this yeah, is yeah. amazing. I saw um, Jerry Cinnamon at Ali Pali. Yeah. And then just down the road from you, and it's one of my new favourite venues, uh, the O2 in uh, oh, yeah, Birmingham. Yeah. Cool. Which Never one? The one in Digbeth. I've got a few O2s. Do you know which one? The, the one, one with the balcony. Yeah, the one with the balcony yeah, on yeah, the that's... on the main main dual carriageway. That's a great room, isn't it? I've never been. I've driven past it and gone, oh, that's good, because I live in Bicester. Birmingham's an easy drive for me, and I've done it so often. I, you know, I know it like yeah, the back yeah. of my hand. I thought, this this is an hour. This is an easy place to go and watch yeah, a band it really I, is i parked at the back door <laughs> oh, you would have loved that free i loved it you know the, you know the drill andy i love oh, those comedians in it we love for a bit of free parking oh but at the back door and then saw dmas do you know dmas i do know them i mean this is not an insult they they sound like uh, noel gallagher b-sides to me which in some ways is a compliment isn't it that do you is love them <laughs> yeah. yeah that maybe is why i like them so much yeah i think but, they're um, pretty good what was your, what was the first the first gig you saw after lockdown? Was it the um, was it the festival? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I don't, I didn't really count that as a gig because it was outdoors and all. Yeah. It was great. I suppose Black Pumas was the first gig. I mean, it gave me the. I was quite emotional just being in a room full of people. Although I don't love them, and I don't think yeah. I've got. Yeah, but you know, how could you? How could you not? It's a communal experience, isn't it? I think quite often, like when I Glastonbury, for instance, which I go to all the time if I can. And uh, you get some, not necessarily artists, songs, I'm going to say, that get transformed by the communal experience. I mean, you yeah. know, I never particularly liked Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling. But when yeah. you're in a field of 100,000 people dancing, happy, clapping along, singing, you think, well, I mean, it's made me love that song from that experience. And that's just from being, I mean, you, you can't beat it. Yeah. You can't beat it. There's something transformative, I think, about the communal experience, you know. And it can transform the what you think about a mu- the music. Yeah, the, I have that with bands you already like. The songs that you you sort of feel bad. You feel like you need to get in contact and apologise to them. Like I've always, I've never really 
given that song any thought. I just thought it was all right. It was just on the album and then you see it live. But isn't it a joy when they start revealing themselves? I mean, you know, like a good album, even songs in general, actually. I'm so obsessed with songs. I I see them as a kind of, I'm saying little bits of wisdom, really, little bits of advice. You know, like some people might go, well, as it says in chapter 14, Luke 4. Yeah. And I think, I go, as it says on track three of this album, you know, there's, there's, (laughs) there's wisdom in there, isn't there? And, and, and uh, yeah, and, and I suppose that idea of um, you don't feel so alone because I, I think pretty much every emotion has been expressed through song. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think they've so it all. Yeah, so yeah, you know, I find it so um, songs, isn't it? Of their uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it is. But three or four minutes, so it's transformative thing, isn't it? Whether you're on your own in your sad little flat on your earphones, or in a field of a hundred thousand people, they can uh, they can become part of your psyche, your DNA. Yeah, yeah. nicely put, Andy. Nicely put. This is why you're on here. <laughs> I like <laughs> about comedians as well. Occasionally, like a comedian, will do a bit of material. I always think of this with. Oh, Dear old incognito, you know, whenever I see um, an ambulance and it's got Echna Lumba, he, he had a joke about writing yeah. the word backwards. So whenever I see an ambulance now, I always think of him going, fuck me, there's an Echna Lumba behind me. And you, it's so grateful for um, just things that live on in your head, I think. And of yeah, course, often. music is, you know, uh, one of the primary sources for that, isn't it? Yeah, I have that. Cognito, every time oh. it says, come into a cinema near you, how do they know where you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Such that stuff. A, but that's, that's, that's there, isn't it? That's there for life now. That's going yeah. nowhere. Ellen Tina, and I love Ellen Tina. She's got a thing about, um, you know, addicts who, if you drink, I've said this to her the other day because it's in my head now. She's got a thing about addiction is uh, if you start a sentence with fuck it, <laughs> and then go to yeah. that so you know but again that's a little bit of wisdom from a comedian because when I find myself having a drink and thinking fuck it I think alright oh, then maybe not, now it's not the best time but that, oh, that all comes from a comedian or oh, yeah. fuck it I'll have a drink yeah, yeah. start the sentence fuck it I'll have a drink yeah bits yeah. of you know but just these little bits of wisdom and I suppose to get back onto music songs have got so many of them haven't they there's so many couplets or the odd line that I, I, you know, I'm reminded of continually, and I'm so grateful to these people for writing it and recording it and doing yeah. that because it's a life enriching. I believe. I, th- I think there is a touch of um, I sort of use uh, the iPod if you're going to be slightly old fashioned, but use you know, it's it's got, it's got a touch of the Bible about it. I think there's loads of wisdom and brilliant advice in there. Describe it. Like that. That's <laughs> great. My iPod. It's got a touch of the Bible about it. <laughs> Oh, as Liam Gallagher said, it was biblical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. nailed it. I, I um, yeah, you know, I always knew you were you loved all sorts of music. You just sort of if you, whenever I've mentioned any band to you, you know something about them. Yeah, but, well, I've, um, got, I've I've got a vague thing that I think that most people have done half a dozen good songs. I think that in my head sometimes that you know most uh, yeah more established artists certainly. I, you know when people go. Elton John's a twat. I think, well, he's got half a dozen good songs that, you know, you must like if you're open-minded. Yeah, you know, he's got songs. I'm not a massive fan of Elton John, but he's undeniably, he's got songs you can't argue with. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I think, classics. Yeah. Can't think, argue with them. I think most people have, you know. I think most people have got some good... Everyone, say everyone's got a novel in them. Everyone's got a good song in them, probably. Yeah. And you talk about music on stage quite a lot. You've yeah, well, as, we, as we've established, it's the only thing I do. So yeah, <laughs> can't talk about got, my kids. You've got <laughs> <laughs> it's your it's your comedy equivalent of going on about having kids. Really, <laughs> was that a gig? 
Oh, yeah. I like that. No, I do talk about it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, I find it tricky doing. talking about music on stage because no, you find it not everyone knows the reference points. People don't know the band mm. and stuff like that. But it's always worth a go when it's big ones. Like I watched a video of yours the other day, um, an old one, Gas. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. Lee Mack yeah, yeah, looking yeah. about 12 yeah, yeah. and you had loads of good stuff about music on that you described the Spice Girls as basically a Hindu yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, a cracking description I, I take that back these days I think that was me being young and a little bit but it's only boys who matter I, I take that back on the Spice Girls I mean I went, I went to see the Spice Girls not so long ago it, it was a massive I mean it was a, a this was interesting about them. It was a stadium packed full of women who are not there stroking their beards and going, what does it all mean? Or I don't yeah. particularly like that. They were having a party, you know. Now the Spice Girls, I'm going to say, have only got half a dozen good songs because they're having to fill the rest up with, okay, then fair enough. But yeah. I mean, it's just joyous, you know. 100,000 women in a stadium having a ball. I'd like yeah. to see that. Yeah. So one, la- <laughs> one, last, one last thing. Oh, yeah. Got- We've done already. What a treat this has been, Andrew. Thank you. Oh, I've really enjoyed it as well. I could talk about Paul McCartney all day. I'm fascinated with him. I'm quite happy to, yeah. But yeah, I um, I saw as well, I uh, I watched you on gas, and then there was a video of you interviewing Amy Winehouse. I remember you talking about it to me once. All right, yeah, yeah. And it's a really good interview. I see. I mean, I'm. yeah, people have said that. I'm not, I, it's not. I'm, I'm not good. She's she's just great on it, isn't she? I mean, no. But you asked her a couple of questions where you see her face go, oh, like that. Like you gave her some nice compliments, and you asked her stuff where you could tell you'd listen to the album properly. Yeah, yeah. You're not just like because you you forget when musicians musicians come across a bit arsy because they don't know how to explain what they do, and they get asked the most annoying questions over and over again. Like, how did you write that song? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It came from nowhere. I don't know. And you asked her a couple of like really good questions. You could tell she was chuffed. Oh, cool. Well, that's nice to hear. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a look like I say, a lovely interview. I put that up because I was in my loft. I'd forgotten about it. And then I, someone said to me, "Here he comes again, round the corner. Who's that coming over the hill?" Someone said to me, "How would you feel if there was a Paul McCartney interview that someone was just kept in the loft that wasn't out?" You know, so I, I, I sort of dug it out and put it out because, and the comments under it, my niece tells me because she keeps an eye on it and how, how many people watch. But I mean, it seems to have uh, seems to have affected people because it was an interview that was done for a, a regional television program, however many years ago. Yeah, and there's a load of wisdom in there from her, I think, you know, and also yeah. a warning, possibly, you know, of look after yourself and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Like that, like sometimes about that thing on on gas. People say to me when they when they Google me because I'm quite hard to find on the computer, and then they go, "Oh, you're on gas, and how do you feel?" Because Noel Fielding and Lee Max on there isn't, aren't they? And you must be, you know. But there was a fella called a Hovis Presley, a brilliant comedian poet he sort of died since you know so that notion again i'm bringing death into it andrew left right and center but the that notion of uh being satisfied with what you've got and what you've done you know like that it's important isn't it i think you know like that's how that amy winehouse interview i did as an allusion to that at the end she's gonna keep trying to make the perfect album yeah all that sort of stuff's inspiring isn't it i think yeah from some great place to end the podcast <laughs> oh, thank I knew, you i knew you'd finish well <laughs> but no bloody pleasure to talk to you andy thanks yeah, mate, man. for coming on thank and you 
I imagine I'll pour my troubles out to you again soon. And well, absolutely. Time, if you're up in Birmingham think- again, come and see a gig. Let me know because I'll, I'll go and see anything. Oh, you know, we should happily. definitely go to a gig together. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll tell you some of my um, deep emotional problems. And I'll, I'll tell think you what a great mine, listener Andrew. you are. I'll tell you and some little, mine. little will I know you're humming Live and Let Die in your head. <laughs> I'd be humming Problems by the Everly Brothers in that case. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Good one. There you go. You've done it already. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you. A podcast from producer Paul.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.